you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to a very familiar passage of Scripture, very appropriate for a Mission Sunday, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission passage. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 20, and I'm reading from the New International Version, and here's what the Word of God has to say. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you for your presence today here with us in the person of your son, Jesus. I pray, dear Lord, that today your Holy Spirit one more time will anoint me with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God to minister the Word of God. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of believers, dear God, and help us to respond today to your Word and to your will. I ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. And amen to God forevermore. I really just want to address a couple of words and turn your attention to a couple of words in this passage of Scripture. Matthew 28 and 19, the first two words, therefore go, therefore go. My entire missionary ministry and this month is 40 years since we were approved as Assemblies of God World Missionaries. And over those 40 years, my entire ministry has been an itinerant ministry. What do you mean by that, itinerant ministry, Ron? I mean it's always traveling. I'm always on the road. I'm always on airplanes. I'm always on trains. I'm always traveling uh, from one place to another, taking the gospel. In, in fact, I, I flew in here on Friday. I fly out on, uh, on Monday. Uh, let me tell you, let me give you an example of how much I travel, okay? On one particular airlines, one airlines, Delta Airlines. Now, I'm not talking about the reward miles that they give you actually flown, actually in the seat miles, I have flown more than 5 million miles with Delta Airlines. More than five, that is more than 10, the, the equivalent of more than 10 round trips to the moon. So, so I'm always on airplanes. And let me tell you something, friends. Sometimes I just get tired. I mean, I just get weary. And I say, Lord, just give me a break this time. But, you know, it seems like every time I'm on a plane, the person sitting next to me always wants to engage in conversation. Always want to do it, you know, and you sit down and I say, Lord, just give me a break this time. Let, you know, let, just let that person sleep for the whole flight. Let, let, the, let the next person that sits to them open the four spiritual laws and walk them through the whole thing. But give me a break this time. But they always didn't want to engage in conversation. And sooner or later, they get to that inevitable question, what do you do for a living? <laughs> when I tell them I'm a missionary, suddenly they lose interest in the conversation. I mean, they don't want to talk about that. I was on one particular flight, and I, I buckled in. We are on the taxiway. We hadn't even taken off, and the man began to engage me in conversation. You know, where you, where you been? Where you going? Da, da, da. Uh, you know, do you travel much, et cetera? And then he got to that question. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a missionary. His response was very different from just about anyone else that, uh, that I'd ever flown with. When I said I'm going to be a missionary, he just sat there for a few moments, quiet, and I could tell that he was in deep thought. And uh, after just a few moments, he turned to me, and he said something that no one had ever said to me. He said, you know, he said, it must be tough to be 
a missionary. I never had anybody respond that way. And so I could tell he had given that some thought. So I sat and I thought, now, you know, there's difficult times over for you. There's difficult times in, in being a missionary. And, and I thought through some of those times, I mean, my first term, uh, my, my wife's first term in Hong Kong, I got very, very sick. And I was, uh, and I was literally dying. I had, I had emergency surgery. I was supposed to be in for two or three days. I was in for a month. And I was literally dying. God did a miracle to spare my life uh, Twice, my entire family and I have been terrible automobile accidents, uh, uh, and, and those have been very tough, very difficult times. Uh, I did open-air crusade evangelism in Thailand for many years, and sometimes we would go to areas that were very hostile to the, go uh, to, uh, to the gospel. <clears throat> I remember one time when I, when I was up preaching, I was up on a platform kind of elevated above the crowd like this, and this was kind of a hostile area, and, and uh, people, while I'm preaching, people would would curse and jeer. I remember one man stepped right up to the edge of the platform and he began to curse and he began to shake his fist and he began to threaten. And then uh, uh, one night while I was at that location, while I was preaching, right while I was preaching, a bullet whizzed past my head. Fortunately, it had been thrown. <laughs> well, well they, were, they, were, they were a poor people. They could afford the bullet, but not the gun. But, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, so there had been tough times. And so I thought about some of those tough times. But then I thought about all the wonderful times, all the great times. You know, I turned to that man. I said, you know what? I said, it's not been tough to be a missionary. It's been a pleasure to be a missionary, a pleasure. I got to my destination. I got to the hotel, and I couldn't get away from that thought, pleasure to be a missionary. And I sat down at the desk of the hotel, and I wrote down what I'm going to give you today, three pleasures of being a missionary. Three pleasures of being a missionary. The first pleasure of being a missionary is when God first calls you. When, uh, when, he, when he speaks to your heart and he, and he called you. I remember when God first called me to be a missionary. It's, a, it's in the first church I pastored. I, I met my wife down at, who's an Italian. She was a Tarantino from northern New Jersey at the other end of the Lincoln Tunnel. And, and I met her down at Southeastern Bible College. The first Italian girl I'd ever met in my life. I grew up in Georgia. We don't have any Italians down there. But... Uh, I first tell you, I mean, and I was impressed. I mean, I liked it, you know. So, so anyway, I fell in love with her, and we got married while we were still in college. And, uh, and uh, you know, we participated in the, the missions program. I came out, did evangelistic work for a while, and then God led us to, to pastor a little church up in the panhandle of Florida. I say little church, little church. We had 11 people on Easter, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, it was a little, and we weren't a city church either. We were out in the country. Out, let me tell you how far we are in the country. We were so far out in the country, you had to drive toward town to go hunting. I mean, we were way out there. But, but, uh, but uh, you know, hey, but I was a kid, you know. I mean, we're just right out of Bible college. I thought, Lord, how will we ever lead all these people? But, you know, the church began to grow, and we got up to a size. You know, I said, you know, it's time to do a missions convention. And we did a missions convention. We had a missionary come in, and on a Sunday morning, he was leading us in faith promises. And so, uh, so we were holding the faith promise cards in our hand. I'd done this growing up in my home church in, in, uh, in Atlanta, my wife, and her home church in New Jersey at Bible College. We did, but this was different. This was our church. And so, uh, so I, I, I was standing there praying, and I said, God, what do you want us to do this time? And the Lord said, this time, I want you. And I wrote on that faith promise card, Lord, we will 
go. But we couldn't go yet. Because back in those days, there was only one way into, uh, into becoming a world missionary. And, and, you know, you had to have pastored at least two years. I hadn't. You had to be at least 25 years old. I wasn't. You had to be ordained. I wasn't ordained yet. And so we just kind of continued fulfilling the, you know, the preparation to be missionary. But we were hooked. I mean, we were living the pleasure of anticipation. God had called us. We were anticipating. He called us to the People's Republic of China. Well, you couldn't live in China in those days. And so we purposed we would go to Hong Kong. And so every day I'd, I'd get up excited, pastor him up at church, but uh, living the anticipation that God has called us to leave these shores, to go halfway around the world, to minister to the peoples of China. I mean, I was so excited living the anticipation of fulfilling the preparation and heading to the field. Finally, we met all the requirements. We applied to Assemblies of God headquarters and, and, uh, and we were approved as missionaries and, and we began to itinerate, visiting churches like this. I don't think there's anybody as excited as a brand new recently appointed missionary that's, uh, that's gone and telling about the call of God, getting ready to go for the first time. And then uh, uh, we, uh, we reached our budget and I remember when myself and my wife and our little daughter Wendy, two years old, got on the airplane and we flew halfway around the world. We're coming down to land in Hong Kong and I, and I look out and I, I, I see uh, Hong Kong Island and Kowloon Peninsula and off in the distance, the People's Republic of China. Our hearts leapt with anticipation of what God was going to do. I mean, we were so filled with that pleasure, that excitement of anticipation. Then we got in language school, Cantonese dialect of Chinese. And you know, Cantonese dialect has seven tones, seven tones. And our teacher, Dr. Chun, he wanted to learn uh, us to learn those. And so he led us like somebody leading music. Uh, he said to us, I went, he said, I went, he told us to say, do you like to eat an orange? Do you like to eat an apple? Hey, I was speaking Chinese. I mean, I was so excited. I went to the marketplace. I wanted to put it to use. I went to the marketplace. You go to our apartment. There was fruit everywhere. Just living that anticipation. The pleasure of anticipation. But sooner or later, the pleasure of anticipation gives way to the pleasure of experience. When you're doing it, when you're fulfilling the call of God. We arrived in Hong Kong on my 27th birthday, June 29th, 1978. And got into language school, I was in language school. But our, our heart, my heart was to get into the People's Republic of China. And I began to pray, God, somehow, do a miracle. Foreigners couldn't, couldn't, couldn't live in China in those days. And, but I just began to pray, God, somehow, do a miracle. And by December, by December, I had, was able to obtain a visa for a, for a, for a trip into, uh, into China. And so I, so I, I went up uh, and, uh, to, to, to mainland China, to the city of Guangzhou, and, and I was there. And, I, you know, and I, just, I began to pray. I knew, I knew that, uh, that, the, that the church had been persecuted. I knew that there had been so much suffering that, uh, that, uh, that the communists tried to destroy the church. But I knew that there was a house church movement, people that were surviving in their faith. And I thought... I prayed, Lord, somehow bring me into contact with the church. 
And one day I was standing on a standing on the corner in a, uh, uh, on, on, of uh, the city of, uh, of Guangzhou, and, and a man came up, and we began to converse in Cantonese a little bit, and, and as we talked a little bit, both of us realized that the other was a believer. And so uh, when he realized I was a believer, he said, you know, he said, we have a little fellowship in my home. He said, would you like to come and worship with us tonight in the fellowship in my home? And I said, oh, I said, I would be so honored to do so. And so they invited me, and I went there. It was just a little room with a little small group of people. They're all sitting on the floor. And so I sat, and they began to sing and to worship and all. And, and we began to converse, and, and they discovered that I was a, a, an ordained minister. And, uh, and so, uh, so uh, he said to me, my surname, Chinese surname is Ma. So he said, Ma Moksi. He said, you're an ordained minister. He said, will, will you teach us? And I thought, teach you? Teach you? You people are heroes. Uh, every time you gather together in the name of Jesus, you do so at personal risk. Uh, at any point, the authorities could break in and, and they could take you away as they had, their, as they had the, the senior Chinese pastors. I said, teach you, you're a hero. You teach me. They said, no, Mom, see. They said, we don't have any ordained ministers. Our ordained ministers in the 70s, they were, they were still in prison. So I, uh, I sat on the floor cross-legged and, and, uh, and opened my Bible and sat and ministered to these Chinese men and women serving Jesus, heroes of the faith. Uh, boy, the pleasure of experience fulfilling the call of God, sitting uh, with, uh, with giants of the faith in that little room gathered together in the name of Jesus. One time and one occasion I was... Uh I was meeting with the house group and, uh, and uh, uh, the leader of the group, just a lay person, he said to me, Mom, he said, you're an ordained minister, right? I said, yes, I am. He said, you know, our tradition, he said, uh, here in China, is that you can only be baptized by an ordained minister. And they said, uh, we've been serving the Lord for many years, but we don't have an ordained minister. And so we've been serving the Lord many years, but, but we haven't been baptized. Will you baptize us? I tried to teach him the Bible doesn't say you have to be ordained to be baptized. Uh, uh, I tried to teach him elders, you baptize the younger. Parents, you baptize your children. But he wouldn't have, hear of it. He said, Mom, see, he said, we have our tradition. You're an ordained minister. How can you deny us? Uh, you, you have to baptize. So I said, okay, but what do you do? You can't go to a public place. You couldn't go to a river or stream or something in, 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 in those days. Uh, and I said, okay, I'll do it. But how? They said, don't worry, everything's under control. Somebody pulled out from under a counter an old tin wash tub. You know what I mean? It's about this big around, and it's about this deep. They put it on the floor. They filled it full of water, and I thought, well, now what do I do? I didn't know. I just knelt down next to that. They made a line. I put my hand on the first one's head, and I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and I mashed them as deep down into that wash tub as I could get them. I baptized the top half of 17 people. And then I began to think about that. I thought now that I baptized the top half of these people, I'm going to assume this is God minister. We believe in baptism by total immersion. Should I turn them around? And uh, <laughs> you know what? I just decided to call the job done. <laughs> it didn't seem to matter to them. I don't think it mattered to God. They were baptized. The pleasure of experience doing it, fulfilling the call of God on your life. I did that for several years in Hong Kong, traveling into the mainland. And then in the 1980s, a missionary who'd been doing evangelism and church planting in Thailand went to be with the Lord. 
It was a very critical work in those days. The work in Thailand was very, very young. And so when he passed away, our leadership and World Missions asked us to go over and to take over that ministry. So we went over and took over this open-air evangelism ministry. I wish I could tell you what it's like, friends. I wish I could tell you what it's like to, to stand on a platform uh, under a starlit Thai night uh, in the upcountry of Thailand, preaching to a few hundred, sometimes a few thousand people that have never before heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of them had never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, if we held up a cross, they wouldn't have any idea of what it was and what it meant. I wish I could explain to you uh, the pleasure of experience of standing and telling them that there is a God who loved them, uh, who gave his son Jesus to die for their sins. Uh, and all they had to do uh, was to accept Jesus uh, and he would forgive them of their sins. I wish I could tell you what it's like uh, to give uh, an invitation and see people stand up uh, and step out of the darkness of that night uh, but not only out of the darkness of that night, out of the darkness of their lives, having heard of Jesus for the very first time in their lives, and they realize it's real, it's true. There's a God who can set me free from the bondage that I'm living in. And they come forward and stand across the platform. And I wish I could tell you what it's like to see them as after 10,000 and more unanswered prayers to the Buddha image. They pray the first prayer in their life that ever had an answer when they said, oh God, I never heard of you before, but I heard tonight and I believe the pleasure of experience telling people for the first time and you could literally see as they invite Jesus into their heart the very moment that all of the demons that had moved out of their, that moved out of their lives those demons that came in when they were worshiping at spirit houses but they moved out because Jesus the son of God moved in the pleasure the pleasure of experience the pleasure of experience. I was doing one of these open air crusades one night, one time down in a city called Pattaya. It was uh, it was about two hours below where we lived in Bangkok, and you know the team would always go and say they would set up ahead of me, and and so uh, so my daughter Wendy said to me, she said, Daddy, she said, can I can I go with you to the crusade tonight? School was out, and I said, Well, sure, baby, you can. And so we got in the van, and we, were, and we were driving down there. And as we were riding down there, she said, Daddy, she said, can I sing? Can I sing at the crusade? I said, well, baby, I didn't even know that you sang. <laughs> she said, well, I, I never have before. This was in the 80s. She said, but I got a cassette tape of Sandy Patty. Anybody remember Sandy Patty? Got a cassette tape of Sandy Patty. And she said, I thought I could play that, and I could sing with it. And I said, well, baby, you sure can. That night, my little daughter, Wendy, stood on the platform in a beautiful little Thai outfit with about 500 lost people there, and Wendy sang to the, to the lost, a duet with Sandy Patty, <laughs> mostly Sandy. <laughs> and as Wendy was standing there on that platform singing to the lost, God began to move in her little heart. And today, she and her family are missionaries in southwest China. The pleasure of experience, bringing your kids along with you.
I was doing a crusade up in the northeast of Thailand in a city by the name of Muktahan. Muktahan is right on the banks of the Mekong River, right across from the Savanakhet, the second largest city of Laos. Laos was a communist country. We could not get into Laos. They would not let us in. But the river was not wide there. The dialect that we were preaching in on this side of the river, uh, on the Thai side of the river, was a dialect called Isan. It was identical to the Laotian dialect spoken on the other side of the river. And so I told our team, turn the, microphone, turn the speakers over on this side, pointing over across the river. And so every night while I'd preach, I'd preach a while, and, and then I'd step over to the edge, and I'd preach to the people on the Laotian side. And I said, you people over in Laos, tonight when I give the invitation to accept Jesus, as people come forward to accept Jesus, you can accept Jesus over there too. All you have to do is follow after me in prayer. When I got to the invitation and I was leading them in the sinner's prayer, I looked over, and the people on the Laos side, you could see their shoulders rising and falling uh, as, uh, as they were following after me in prayer the people over in communist Laos accepting Jesus as their savior. You see, you see the government, the government could keep us out, but they couldn't keep the sound of the gospel from carrying across the river. They couldn't keep the movement of the Holy Spirit from going across the river and touching the lives of people and drawing them to Jesus. Every night when I, when I preach, I move around a lot when I preach, and so I'd, I'd move around. But one night, uh, as I was preaching, I was kind of preaching, I was kind of dragging my leg a little bit. You say, Ron, something wrong with your leg? No. I'd taken my son Sam with me up to the crusade. Sam was about three years old. And he'd sit down in front. Everybody sat on the ground, and he'd sit right down on front. And so one night, he, he looked around. He must have looked around and got a little spooked, realized he was the only little foreign kid there. And he jumped up as I was preaching, and he ran up the steps like these on the front of the platform. He ran across the platform to me, took a flying leap, and wrapped his arms and legs around my leg. And so for the rest of the night, it was preach a while, drag Sam a while. Preach a while, drag Sam a while. But as Sam wrapped around daddy's leg, listening to him preach the gospel to the lost, something began to bubble in his spirit. And today Sam and his wife and their children are missionaries in Thailand where he grew up. And my youngest son and his wife Missionaries, the pleasure of experience, preaching to the lost, the unreached, planting the church where it doesn't exist, erecting the cross where it's never been seen before, raising your children to go into the family business, the pleasure of experience. But then as the years go by and your hair turns white, as mine has, you look back with the pleasure of remembrance, with perspective. And you say, Lord, did anything that I did make a difference? I did those open-air crusades and planted churches for many years. And, and then God helped me to open Laos as an Assemblies of God mission field, to open communist Cambodia 
as an Assemblies of God mission field. To reopen Vietnam, all of our missionaries had left in 1975 when the war ended. And, but to, to reopen, reestablish Assemblies of God missionary ministries in Vietnam. And so I was made an area director for Peninsular Asia, Burma, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. And so I had to give up the, 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 the crusade ministry and all in order to give leadership over, over all of those five countries. It had been some time since I'd been up in the northeast of Thailand where I planted many churches, and, and I hadn't visited them for a while, and I thought it would be good to go back and visit some of those churches. So I contacted our missionary up there, Kelly, and I said, Kelly, I said, it's been a while since I've been up there. I said, I'd love to come up and visit some of the churches that are planted. He said, Ron, they'd love to have you. He said, I'll set up the itinerary. The first night, we were in a little place called Koksawang. Koksawang was just a little tiny, tiny village. We'd gone there and we held a crusade and the gospel took, took hold and we planted a church. So that night I was, I was there and they had the, you, you, everybody sits on the ground under, under, under uh, the, the church and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and they had singing and worship and prayer and all. And, 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 then, the, and then the pastor introduced me and normally they would say, Normally they say, we feel very good to have uh, 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 Pastor Ron with us tonight to, to preach. But he didn't say that. He said, He said, we feel, instead of saying, we, we feel happy to have Ajan Ron, Pastor Ron, he said, we're glad to have Paron, Paron. Paul means father. He said, we feel so good to have Father Ron. Not Father in the religious sense like a priest, but Father in the respected elder sense. And then he went on to say, Paul Ron, Father Ron is our Father in the Lord and the Father of our church. He said, when Father Ron came, we were worshiping Buddha, and he brought us Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Pastor, that'll make you feel pretty good. He said, the mock, mock he said, Padron, go on, he said, but, but, but besides that, he said, Father Ron, he said, he's like the Apostle Paul. Like the Apostle Paul? Wow. Now, I'm really feeling good. I'm not just the father of the church. I'm like the Apostle Paul. He said, he's like the Apostle Paul. He said, he came here, and he preached the gospel, and he planted our church. And he said, now he's in other countries and is preaching and planting the church in other countries. Man, I was feeling really good. He said, but the apostle Paul wrote letters back. He said, but Father Ron never did. So you know how they kind of take you right up here and then just kind of bring you right back down to reality. So <laughs> after the service was over, after I preached and we had altar time and the service was over, in, in Thailand, because they, in the Northeast, they, they lay a rattan mat uh, on, the, on the ground and everybody sits uh, uh, folded legs and, 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 and they serve the food. You eat it with sticky rice, not, not with the forks or spoons or chopsticks, with sticky rice, you break it and flatten it out and scoop it up with that. So we were all eating. And as I began to look around, I hadn't been there for several years, and I began to notice some people missing. And I said, what about brother so-and-so? Where is he? They said, oh, he's, he passed away. He's with the Lord. What about sister so-and-so? Where is where, where's she? They said, oh, with Jesus. And I, I noticed Mess uh, Somget. Uh, mother Somget wasn't there. I said, Mess Somget, you nigh. Mess Somget, 
Yuti Sawan. She's, she's, she's in heaven. So it was a great time. And the next night I was in Nawa. Nawa was the first crusade that I preached in Thailand. It was the first church that I planted. The service was so much the same. It was a great reunion, wonderful time. Worshiping God, preaching, praising the Lord, altar time. Afterward again, they rolled, they rolled the rattan mat out. They put the food down. We sat down and we were eating. And again, I hadn't been here for a long time. I began to notice that people had gone. I said, where's so-and-so? They said, oh, he's, he passed away, you know, a couple of years ago. He's, he's, he's in heaven. And then I asked about another one, Jesus. And then I noticed that Meniam, Meniam, Mother Neam, that Meniam was missing. And I said, Meniam, you deny, where, where's Mother Neam? Meniam was the first one to accept Jesus. It was around Meniam and her family that we planted the church in that village. I said, Meniam, you deny, where's Meniam? And they said, oh, Ajahn Ron. They said about six months ago, Meniam passed away. She's in the arms of Jesus. And suddenly it dawned on me. The reason that we had come, the reason we left family members and friends and homeland and traveled a half a world away, the reason that we had come to the mission field had been realized in the lives of those people. We found them at the feet of Buddha and we brought them to the foot of the cross. From darkness to light, from earth to glory, they had made the journey. And we could say, it's been a pleasure to be a missionary. Now, for myself, my wife, these are the years of replication, of giving leadership to Northern Asia, a region of 1.4 billion people, giving leadership to 225 missionary team members, new people just going out on the field. My prayer is that they will live that same pleasures of being a missionary that my family and my wife did. How, how does it happen? For 40 years we have served the Lord as missionaries because of people just like you in churches just like this who have sacrificially given month by month in missionary offerings, uh, faith promises, commitments, uh, and, uh, and in cash offerings to missionaries uh, and saying, Lord, I'm here, but the lost are not just here. The lost are out there. Here are missionaries, teen challenge, inner city, uh, pregnancy missionaries uh, with women who are desperate for hope, missionary to Muslims, missionaries to the Chinese, uh, missionaries to Buddhists, and missionaries to animists. Uh, God, I can't go, but you said, therefore, go and make disciples. I can't go, but I can sin. And because of people like you, missionaries like me can spend a lifetime holding your hand in one hand 
and holding our Bible in the next and preaching to the unreached and the lost. They can only do it. We can only do it if you help us, if you continue and you do more than you've done ever before. God bless you, Pastor, as you come. Thank you, friends. It's wonderful to be with you today. Wow, I have such a deep love and respect for Ron because of what he's accomplished, what he's done, sacrifices he's made. I remember as we bring this service to a conclusion, the worship team comes, I remember Solomon Wong came to the church. Great speaker. And I'll never forget Solomon Wong said to the church many years ago, he said, I am willing to go down into the deepest pit to reach the farthest, hardest reaching person in the world. Nepal, very difficult place to minister, very close to the gospel. He said, but I need someone to hold the ropes. I need someone who will lower me down and hold the ropes while I go down. And that's what missionaries do. Look at me, that's what missionaries do. They're willing to go to places that God calls them to go, Nepal, Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, China, Russia, the Middle East. Do you know today, Ron knows this, so exciting that so many young people are saying to our missions organization, and we have, if not the greatest, one of the greatest missionary organizations in the assemblies of God in all of the world. They're saying, Pastor, they're saying, Brother George Wood, they're saying to the missions board, don't send us to the easy places. We want to go to the hard places. We want to go to the Middle East. We want to go to places where they've never heard the gospel before. And friend, I want to tell you today that there are a lot of churches that are abandoning their missions programs to around the world because we're starting to say, well, we need it here in America. We need more missionaries here. And we've got a whole bunch of missionaries right here in America that we support. But man, the Lord spoke to me this, this, this month this time around and he said challenge the church to stay true to the great commission challenge Bethlehem to stay true to the fact that Jesus didn't call us just to stay in Jerusalem and you know we do a lot of work in Jerusalem right here in our Jerusalem in our city but he said, challenge the church to be faithful to the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why we have to continue to support our foreign missionaries. That's why we've got to have a vision. We've got to keep the vision clear that Bethlehem Assembly of God doesn't just do work right in our backyard. But we're going to go to the furthest parts of the world. We're going to go to the parts of the world that they've never heard the gospel before. Because there's a little child. There's a young man. There's a woman. There's a man somewhere around the world that's never heard the gospel one time in their life. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that somebody told me the good news. I'm so glad 
that somebody shared that God has a plan for my life and it's big and it includes redemption. It includes the security of knowing that if I died today, I would go to heaven. That's why as a church, we can never abandon. We can never lose sight. We can never lose focus of the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that task will not be finished. That job, that commission will not be finished until the day that we go to heaven. So like every, every missions conference, every missions weekend, we always challenge. And my wife and I, we've been doing this for forever. And that is that we pledge that we will give every month to missions. We pledge that we will make a missions pledge, that we will go beyond, we will stretch beyond, and that we're going to make sure that that comes first in our finances, world missions. I want, I want to tell you something. I'm just going to be transparent with you. I don't know if this is right or wrong to say this, but my wife and I just recently made our will out, our last will and testament. And uh, we said that we want a portion of everything that we have to go back to missions because we believe so desperately in the mission that we have made it a part of every part of our life, not just our living life, but we want it to be a part of our legacy going forward, that we believed in it so much that we, be, we would be willing to give anything. And I remember when my daughter said, I want to be a missionary, I said, okay, God, now it's really hit home because now it's not just about money, but it's about giving everything, even the very thing that you love the most, and that's your children. I believe today we have to have that heart to say, God, whatever it takes, Lord. So you might have to make some sacrifices. You may have to go to McDonald's for a cup of coffee instead of Starbucks. You know what I'm talking about. You may have to say, okay, God, I'm committed to this first, above and beyond anything else. But I believe that that's what a faith promises. God, by your grace and your strength, I will make the sacrifices necessary and you will give me the resources necessary to be a faithful giver to missions. But we're not just talking about giving financially today. We're talking about giving of ourselves today. I love what Ron said. As a pastor, he was filling out his own faith promise and the Lord said, will you give me yourself? And I think today, all of us in this room, we need to say once again, God, don't just take my money, take my heart. Don't just take my money, take my life, Lord, and use it for the glory of your kingdom. So I want to pray for you right now, and then the ushers are going to come, and, and I, I'm going to ask you to do something today that I've, I've never done at a missions conference, and that is that we're not actually going to take the faith pledge today. It's between you and God, you and God. You, want, you say, well, pastor, that's foolish. You want to know exactly. No, no, no. I'm telling you today, I'm leaving it between you and God today. But I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I'm going to ask you to give the largest cash offering, check offering that you've ever given. Now, if you don't have a, a check, you don't have cash, you can go right on the app, the Bethlehem app or the website. And there are going to be people in the back right at there's a table in the back, you'll see it with 
iPads, and they'll help you to go ahead and put it right online. It's safe. It's secure. But you can give right online right now. You can go and do that. You can get out your app. You, many of you have it on your smartphone, and you can give to missions. But I'm going to ask you today to give the largest cash offering we've ever taken in the history of Bethlehem when it comes to missions. One-time offering so that we can say we're going to send our missionaries. You know that we're not the largest Assembly of God church in the country, but we are the number one giving church in all of the country when it comes to the sender's fund. I believe in the sender's fund. You know what the sender's fund is? It takes a missionary who's working so hard to get where they need to be financially to be able to go on the mission field. And it cuts them from 24, 18 months down to 15, 12 months to get them on the field as quickly as possible. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an incredible investment. It's saying, I want to get missionaries there sooner because the sooner they get there, the sooner they can begin to preach the gospel, the sooner they begin to preach the gospel, the sooner people could come into the kingdom of God. That's just the way it is. So I'm a businessman. I understand that. So the truth of the matter is today, we're going to pray right now for you that you would do that. The second thing is that you would say, God, maybe you're calling me to be a missionary, full-time missionary. Maybe you're calling me, Lord. Maybe you're a young person. Maybe you're not so young. But God's calling you to be a missionary. We want to help you. We want to talk to you about that. So I want you to call the office and say, Pastor, God's calling me to be a missionary. We're going to help you to, to work through the transition of getting to where you need to be because it's not only about giving. It's about going. Bethlehem is committed to sending their very own onto the mission field. That's why Becky's here today, because she met Gabrielle. Gabrielle decided, I want to be a missionary, and she did missionary work for several years, and the connection to Romania happened as a result of that. Let's pray together right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, speak to our hearts today, God. Lord, I pray that we would, Father, we would make a check and make it out to Bethlehem Assembly of God. You could put on the bottom missions because it's all, every dime is going to go to missions. Every dime that you give in this offering is going to missions. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that <clears throat> we would just decide. Maybe we've got some separate resources somewhere and we say we're giving portion of this to missions. Lord, I just ask God today that you would just help us. Father, today to stretch beyond what we're used to stretching to, Lord, that we're comfortable with, Lord. And God, bless this offering today, God. Lord, I ask that your, your grace and mercy would be upon it today, Father. We ask, oh God, for your hand of mercy to be upon all those that are feeling the call of God to do missionary work around the world and at home, God. God, that you're calling some, Lord God, to be missionaries, Lord, today. I know it. I know that some young person, some person in this room is being called right now to be a missionary, Lord. God, help them to know that when you call them, you equip them. Help them to know when you equip them, you empower them. Lord, help them to know that when you equip and empower them, you send them, Lord. And help them to know, Lord, that there's, there's people back here that are going to be willing, Lord, to help them to get to that place in their life, to be able to fulfill the call of God on their life. Because God, you've got a plan for their life, and it's big. We give you praise for that. Now the ushers are going to take these, uh, these baskets, and they're going to put them right here on this platform, right here. 
And we're going to give you a few moments as Anthony comes. And he's going to sing one last song. And you can feel, listen to me, you can feel dismissed. You can feel dismissed after you give in the offering today. I want you to know that we love you. I want you to know that we're praying for you. I want you to know that God has a plan and it's huge for your life. So I want you to be blessed today as you go. But Anthony's going to come and sing one last song. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart today, you, you sit there for a few moments because here's what's going to happen. You're going to think of a number in the offering today and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and He's going to stretch you a little bit more. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, one last thing. How do you like my American outfit? I told you I'd be dressed up for missions today. I represent America from the top of my head to the soles of my Converse sneakers. Have a great day. God bless you. We love you.